Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is October the 24th, 2018, and this is episode 2316 of the Survival Podcast. It is Wednesday, that means it's interview day. I'm bringing a guest back that we had on the show before. A lot of you probably did not hear that interview, though, because the show's grown a lot over the years, all ten of them. And uh, I think the last time I had Natalie Bogwalker on, I, I think I was living in Arkansas. I think I was. I might have been living in Arlington. I didn't look it up, but it was quite a long time ago since uh, I had Natalie on. It's a shame, kind of, because she's a really awesome person. Uh, Natalie is the founder and director of Wild Abundance, a school that offers classes in permaculture, hand ta- hide tanning, primitive skills, nature building, uh, and more. It's and based out of uh, Weaverville, North Carolina. Um, she lives the life she teaches too. This is not one of these people that like, this is the thing that I do, you know, online and then in the professional world, I'm a, uh, you know, a, 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 an engineer or a, a computer programmer or a school teacher or something like, like this is, this is who she really is. And she tries to live like this as much as she can. Uh, and she's an awesome person. She has a new, uh, class coming out in November on, uh, tanning hides. But specifically, brain tanning, where you use the brains of the animal whose hide you're tanning to do the hide, which obviously from a self-sufficiency standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. It might sound a bit gross. It really ain't bad. Uh, we'll talk about all that more with Natalie in just a moment. Before we bring Natalie on, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day, number one today, is HarvestEating.com. HarvestEating.com is the website of expert council member Chef Keith Snow. Chef Keith's an awesome dude. He's got awesome ways that you can make food. It's all over at his website, of course, HarvestEating.com. He's got uh, seasonings there that are just some of the best stuff that's available on the market. I use his stuff all the time. Uh, even though it's for chicken, he's a grilled chicken season. I use that a lot on chicken and pork and other things. Yesterday I used it on uh, on some turkey. I have a bunch of turkey from our last run, and uh, we're actually doing uh, turkey pasta. It's going to be that's better than it sounds, guys. It's going to be like an Alfredo with the three cheese tortellini for the workshop. So I mean, I when I say I cooked some turkey yesterday, I mean I cooked some turkey yesterday, and uh, we had one turkey that I had to put down. It was uh, wasn't big enough to uh, to really slaughter, but it was about the size of a, a, a weird looking skinny chicken, and uh, it, it was injured in the way it had to be put down. And I had one leg quarter, the one other leg quarter was not usable, and uh, so I, th- I wrapped that up and threw that on the grill with some of his seasoning, and so we'd have something to eat too. When I gave my wife a piece of it, she rolled her eyes back in her head a bit. I'm telling you. That's how good his seasonings are. And he's got great ways you can learn from them, like his paleo beef course and the other course on food storage. Uh, he's got a great blog. He's got a great YouTube channel. And he's a great guy that contributes to our community and has for seven years. So check him out. You know where, harvesteating.com. Next up, like, you know, if you want to cook meat, you want the best meat you can get. The best meat you can get, in my opinion, is the meat you raise in your backyard. And I think kind of the next step with that is, can you get it from a guy down the road? If you can't get meat from your backyard or down the road, though, and you want another really great source, ButcherBox.com. We're talking grass-fed beef, pastured poultry, pastured pork, and top-quality cuts. I mean, the people they have doing their meat cutting know what they're doing. I am an asshole. I'll just be honest. When it comes to meat, I'm a jerk. Like, People are saying, I'll come over to the house and bring some steaks. I'm like, ah, no. Because, like, I don't trust you to pick out my meat. I'm serious. Like, I'm, like, always, like, make sure they're thick. And I I just, I'd rather buy the steak than have you bring the wrong steak. That's how I am. So I was skeptical when ButcherBox approached me. But having been there, I'm their customer, too, guys. Uh, I've been their customer now since January. So this means that October, that was my 10th box from ButcherBox. Actually, 11th, because they sent me a free one, because they'll push me off the fence and take them as a sponsor. And uh, I, I'm in love with the product. I really am. I get some of the top quality stuff. 
send to my house. It's like I have my own personal shopper that doesn't screw up. And I can change my box at will every month. I can add items on. Sometimes, you know, one of the things you want to make sure that you pay attention to when you become a customer, you'll get an email a lot of times like a week before your box is going to ship. And it'll be like, this month we have this special add-on. Do you want it? And it's usually, that add-on is usually stupid cheap. It's like they come into some surplus of something and they just sell it into their thing. Uh, I got a beautiful pork roast last month, uh, the month before last, I guess you'd say, and then this month or last month, whatever, the last box. They had a grass-fed ground beef, two pounds for like five bucks as an add-on. I got like four of them. Because how, how the hell do you get grass-fed ground beef for two fifty a pound sent to your front door? Not everything's that cheap all the time, but you know, a $150 box brings a nice assortment of meat to your house once a month, and you can add on from there. You can get the bigger box, really great stuff. ButcherBox.com, place to go. I would use the banner on our website. If you're MSB, you want to go to the MSB and get your discount. Even if you're not, though, I have a special deal for your first order anyway for everybody, not just MSB members. So it's one of those times to actually use the banner on the website. Then let's take a little look at history before we bring Natalie on. We're going to go back to this day in history, October 24th, 1861. On this day, in 1861, workers of the Western Union Telegraph Company linked the eastern and western telegraph networks of the nation at Salt Lake City, Utah, completing a transcontinental line that for the first time allows instantaneous communication between Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. The obstacles to building the line over sparsely populated and isolated western plains and mountains were huge. Wire and glass insulators had to be shipped by sea to San Francisco, then carried eastward by horse-drawn wagons over the Sierra Nevada. Supplying the thousands of telegraph poles needed was equally daunting uh, in a largely treeless plains country, and these too had to be shipped from the western mountains. Indians also proved a problem. In the summer of 1861, a party of Sioux warriors cut part of the line that had been completed and took a long section of the wire for making bracelets. Later, however, some of the Sioux wearing the wire bracelets became sick, and a Sioux medicine man convinced them that the great spirit of talking wire had avenged its desecration. Therefore, the Sioux left the line alone, and the Western Union was able to connect the east and western coasts of the nation much earlier than anyone expected, and a full eight years before a transcontinental railroad would be completed. I, I think we can look back at this. I think all that's nice and not understand what this really means. The fact that from coast to coast you could have instantaneous communication and information exchange in 1861 was huge. Um, massive. Massive. It had a weakness, though. These, you know, these Indians cut it and stole the piece of it, right? And that's one thing. But the fact is that in any time of uh, war hostilities, uh, it's very easy to disable a telegraph line, especially if you have a single trunk going from one point to another. World of telecommunications for redundancy, you always do two as one, one as none, all right? But the other thing you do is redundancy of pathway. So if you have a critical circuit you don't want to go down, you run path A, maybe a straight line, and path B out to the east or west. Uh, we, do, we did that when I was in uh, telecom. We did that in buildings, et cetera, like that, different pathways. So not only if something fails, but if something's cut, the other one's there for redundancy, uh, Doing something like this, not so doable, was it? But this was this was life-altering. Life-altering. Think about the alternative to this. How long did it take for information to disseminate from one place to another? Even before this connection, just the telegraph itself changed the world. It changed the world. And it's not so much long after this that all of a sudden across that wire comes, Hello, this is Jack. Can I talk to whoever? And that, again, will change the world massively. But make no mistake about it. This was life-altering for people in 1861. Before we bring Natalie on, real quick, just want to remind you guys that you can join the Member Support Brigade this week, all the way until Monday of next week. We are running a sale. The code for the sale is FALL18. Somebody said, I went there and it was 50 bucks. Yes, you have to use the discount code FALL18, F-A-L-L-1-8. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on members to sign up. Discount code is FALL18. 
And uh, with that, let's go ahead and introduce our special guest, Natalie Bogwalker. She is the founder and director of Wild Abundance. We're going to talk about uh, tanning hides today, specifically brain tanning, her new course coming up on that. I'm sure we'll talk about other primitive skills and maybe a little bit about the concept of rewilding. And with that, hey, Natalie, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. It's been a while since you've been with us. Yeah, it's it's been, a, it's been I don't know, seven or eight years. I'm really so, happy to be back on. Something like that. I was I didn't look it up, but I, I said I either was living in Arkansas or Arlington, so it's it's back in the very early days, the, the hundreds. And today we're at episode 2316, so it wow. might have been like, like around 2,000 episodes ago. So glad to have <laughs> you back. It's kind of a shame because you're an awesome person. You do cool stuff. Um And we got you on today to talk about a new course that you're, 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 you guys have coming up, an online course on, on tanning hides. But before we dig into that, given there's probably a lot of new listeners that never heard of you before, on the show anyway, can you give people a little bit about your background and how, how did you end up where you are? Like, take us back to like high school and you're spacing out or something. And, and how do you end up, uh, you know, doing what you do today with uh, Wild Abundance? Well, I was always into being outside and I was always really into into wild plants actually and really into wild foods and um, I grew up in a pretty conventional sense I grew up in the country but you know with not much of a garden a little bit of a garden and going to school and I actually studied genetic engineering and was like really bent on um, living living a life focused on focused on working outside the home and now um i actually got hit by a car and then about 15 years ago i refocused my life on earth skills and on living close with the earth and gardening and primitive skills like hide tanning and i started a school about 10 years ago called wild abundance and we teach skills for living with the earth and for connecting with um you know, nature's patterns and cycles and living in a more self-reliant way. And so we teach skills for building and primitive skills and all sorts of stuff. Women's carpentry. It's, I teach all the things that I get really excited about. So hide tanning is one of the first primitive skills that I got excited about about 15 years ago. And I'm just so thankful to be able to be sharing that, not just with people who are able to come to our school in North Carolina, but with a much wider audience now. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit about your experience uh, living primitively at the uh, Wild Roots community? Yeah, I'd love to. So I lived at Wild Roots for about five years. And when I got there, um, we lived pretty primitively, but we still had a canvas, like a yurt that we were living in. But we got rid of the yurt. We started um, getting all of our water um, from a spring and did all of our cooking on an open fire and started all of our fires by friction. And I actually built myself a bark hut that I lived in. I, the bark hut was awesome, but eventually I graduated into an eight by 12, um, cabin that I built with this method called straw clay. The walls were, um, insulated by clay and straw and, um, Yeah, I just really loved that lifestyle and felt so inspired living in that way where my life was just like I was meeting my needs much more directly than like going and working a job and making money to go to the store to buy food and just felt really inspired having that like very direct connection with my needs, you know, as all of our ancestors did. And I uh, really wanted to share those skills with other people. And so... That's kind of the direction my life has gone, which has led me now I live in a log cabin that I built. Um, and now I have a wonderful partner named Frank and a baby named Hazel, and we all live there together. And it's really wonderful. And my life definitely is not as primitive as it used to be. I'm on the computer and on the phone a fair amount now organizing all this stuff. But I, uh, but I have, um, maintain, you know, living a life that's, that's pretty close to, um, close to the earth. I grow a lot of our food and we gather a lot of food and we engage a lot of people in learning 
these skills that I find to be so important. Awesome stuff. Um, can you talk about, like you said, tan tanning was one of the first skills you learned. Can you talk about how you got into that and why? Yeah, so I went to a primitive skills gathering. Um, I went to my, the first one that I went to was called Earth Skills Rendezvous. And when I was there, there's lots of different classes offered. And um, I was attracted to doing classes that were foundational and really important um, for meeting, you know, basic physical needs. And so I kind of made the decision between starting going into bow making or starting with hide tanning. And I made the choice to do hide tanning. And what was why that felt really foundational to me was that um, being able to create the material to like clothe myself, like it just seems like such a very basic and important thing to be able to learn how to do. And so, um, and so being able to make that material to then turn into clothes was really appealing to me. And so I just launched into that and those gatherings are, are, have been really inspirational in my life. And I actually, um, about 10 years, I guess 11 years ago, I started an event called the Firefly Gathering, which I've since passed on, which feels really good. But, <laughs> you know about I understand. Yeah, I don't know about the particulars. I know about Firefly, but I know about getting something up to, to, to where it's working and all the work, you, and finally being able to go, okay, now you can do it. And, <laughs> and go, I'll even show up, but yeah, this is yours now. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like hiking on a trail and you see somebody that's all fresh and clean, you know, and you've been on the trail for days and you have a, fl <laughs> a black fly chasing you and you're just like, you stop and talk to him and then you just like ditch out and leave a fly with him. It's the same kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to, I'd like to think that that responsibility is a little bit, a little bit more, um, rich than a black sure, fly. Sure, sure it is, but the feeling you get when you dump it's the same. Yes. <laughs> it's totally the same. Yeah, I spent two years training my replacement, and I'm she's really rolling with it and doing an awesome. excellent job. Yeah, so um, so yeah, so those events are are really big and important to me. And um, I first learned tanning at one of those events. So, who were your hand uh, your hide tanning mentors, and like who were the people that actually taught you how to do this? So I've had several mentors. I'm lucky enough to have had several. The first person who introduced me to high tanning at that um, Earth Skills event, his name was Chris Manis, and he he's about my age. I'm I'm 40. Well, I'm actually turning 40 next month. Very exciting. And um, yeah, he's right about my age. And we were we were both pretty young. We were both in our mid 20s when he taught me how. But he'd been doing it since he was like 12. And so I learned a lot from him. I learned the dry scrape method, which I actually no longer use. I now use the wet scrape method. And then there's this guy out west named Digger who teaches at um, events out west. And I learned a lot more depth of skill from him. And so I'm really thankful. I probably tanned like 30 or 40 hides before I took his class. And then taking his class at at that time in my life was just extremely helpful and I got a lot of tips from him. Um, there's a man named James Price who used to live at Wild Roots and he um, he definitely taught me some stuff about tanning. I'm really thankful for that. And then there's some books that I've gleaned a lot from. Um, there's one person, Tamara Wilder, who I really respect, who has done a lot with tanning. And then one of my most important mentors with primitive skills including hide tanning but more so with other primitive skills was steve watts and he um he lives here in north carolina and ran um ran a center for primitive studies at the shield museum and he's he's i think a mentor to so many people and he passed away a couple of years ago and i have such deep thanks to him especially i think there's a time when like these primitive skills have gotten really popular a lot of people are really i think it has to do with the fact that technology is just 
so intense in our lives these days. And so I think that a lot of people are looking for an antidote to that. And so have been digging much more deeply into the primitive skills than in previous generations. But the generation that Steve was in, I think, was really an important bridge because a lot of these skills were dying, like because a lot of Native peoples who were practicing these skills um, were losing their practices. And a lot of people, like a lot of mountain men, had been practicing a lot of these skills, buckskinners and stuff, and and they were kind of, you know, not existing anymore in the 60s and 70s. And so Steve really acted as a bridge to bring those skills from the past where people were using them in their everyday lives into this generation and to the future. Very cool. Um, can you talk about why you teach and practice brain tanning? I, I mean, I imagine for some people it'd be like, that's kind of gross. Um, for me, <laughs> for me, it makes complete sense because it's, I don't require an additional input. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's it, the high tanning method that I practice is called brain tanning. You can use egg yolks instead of brain. So like if, if you're squeamish about cracking open heads, which I can understand, um, or if you just don't have access to brains, or if you live in an area that has um, that has chronic wasting disease, which is a really scary thing that can exist in um, in spinal cords and brains of of deer or of I mean, it, well, anyway, I'm not do a big thing about that. But if you happen to live somewhere where that's an issue, then using egg yolks totally works too. But What's really beautiful, so the thing that's so awesome about brain tan is that you kind of nailed it, Jack, that you're using the materials from the deer in order to preserve the deer. And you're also using a lot of your own strength and energy you're putting into that hive. And so that is just really cool to me to be able to just use stuff that's straight from the wild. But also the product that you get from brain tanning is far superior than anything that you would get um, from commercially tanned leather. It's way stronger. It's much more comfortable against your skin. Like I wouldn't want to wear leather all the time straight up on my skin that's just like commercially tanned leather. It's not breathable. It doesn't feel good. It's full of chemicals. It's just not safe. And brain tan is completely safe to have up against your skin. And it's one of the softest materials that you could come in contact with. It's really, it's really awesome stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, like, people do worry about chronic wasting disease, but as of now, there has never been a transference to a human. And I think you're, you're probably a lot safer using brain uh, matter than some of the, the chemicals that are used to do tanning. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, because those chemicals, there are cases of people being affected by those chemicals. And like I said, the egg yolks are also totally an option, which as long as you're not ingesting the raw eggs, it's just fine. So I know you have a course coming up, and, and it's a lot of it's a visual thing, but, I mean, the condensed version. Could you give us kind of the rundown on how do you tan a hide? Like, what's the process like so people know what they would be getting into? Yeah, definitely. I can totally, I can totally get into that. And we also have a um, have a video up on our website wildabundance.net. If you go to the page that's about our online high tanning course, it talks you through this whole process more too. Um, if you are more of a visual learner, but so basically you get a hide, which presumably you take off of a deer, and you might be hunting that deer. Which, by the way, this process is so important, I think, to a lot of hunters because. A lot of hunters just really don't want to have any waste from their kill. Like, they really want to use all of the animal. And so brain tanning is just kind of this natural next step. I know a lot of people are really into cooking, cooking meat and really utilizing everything. So, okay, but anyway, <laughs> answering your question, um, you take the hide off the animal. You, If you don't hunt yourself, you can also go to a game processor and they'll generally be happy to give or sell you a hide. They're really happy for the hides to be used and not put in the dumpster. Um, so you get a hide, you take the flesh off of it, and there's there's a, the fleshing beam and a fleshing knife are important tools for that, and I go over how to use those or how to make those in our course. 
and you flush the hide and then you usually soak the hide either in water or in what's called a bucking solution and that loosens up the grain which is the shiny layer on the outside of the hide and then once that's loosened up then you do this process called graining which is also done with a hide beam and a and a flushing knife and then after you get the grain off which is pretty like physical process like you're putting a lot of muscle in to making that happen and then you take the hide and you wring it out to get excess moisture off and then you put the hide into a brain solution which is brains and I often add in a little olive oil or some other oil or fat um bear fat actually works really well but not all of us have access to bear fat and you and then water and that water can be smoky water or just plain water. You mix that up really well. You put your brain in, or excuse me, your hide in. And then you um, you massage that into your hide. You take it out, you wring it, and then you stretch it out and you put it back in the brain solution. And you do that process several times. And then once the hide starts to take up the brain solution, then you open that hide up and you stretch it and you contort it in all sorts of ways. Um, to keep the natural, naturally existing glues in the hide from hardening and fixing. Like basically the hide is made up of a network of fibers and you want to keep those fibers free and lubricated. And so what the brains do is they put fat into solution. It's kind of like mayonnaise, like there's lecithin in the brains and it's the same, the same concept of mayonnaise, like you mix oil and water together and they don't mix. But if you add lecithin, which exists in brains, into um, the solution, then you're able to get the fat to dissolve in the water. You have the brain or the hide in that solution and then you take it out. And when you dry that hide out, you keep the hide moving. And the fat that was dissolved in the water is then coating the fibers of the hide. And so that's what makes brain tan so fluffy and such an amazingly comfortable and soft material is because all those fibers that when they're rawhide they're all locked together and kind of glued together they're expanded and fluffed up and lubricated to the point where it's just like a really lovely material and then um, once you get done softening the hide then you do what's called smoking the hide and um, there's I can make all sorts of jokes about that, but I'm not going to. (laughs) So basically you get smoke to penetrate through the fibers of the hide and you can do this. It's a little complex to explain just with words, but um, basically you make a bag out of your hide and you, you put it over a very smoky um, smoldering coal fire and that um, the smoke has to penetrate through the hide in order to escape. And that weatherproofs your um, weatherproofs the fibers of the hide, which basically means that you can get your hide wet without risk of it turning back into raw hide. And if you've gone, it basically takes three days to tan a hide. And so if you've gone to that much effort to tan your hide, you don't want to end up with something that that resembles a raw hide bone <laughs> that you're going to wear. So the smoking process is definitely very important. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, like, so uh, hair on versus hair off tanning? Like, do do you generally do – I've seen a lot of your stuff and a lot of, you know, like clothing, and that's obviously usually a bear hide. Not a bear hide, but a bear hide. Um, yeah. do, do, do you how – you, how you de-hair hide and, and what you do if you want to do a, a, a tanning with the, the hair still remaining on? Yeah, that's a really good question. So – when um, when tanning, you have the option of scraping the hair off with the grain. And if you do scrape the hair off with the grain, you end up with a much softer and finer final product. It's really hard to get a hide with the hair on it to be as soft as you can get a hide um, that you've removed the hair from. And so... Um, and so it also depends on what species you're dealing with. Like deer have hollow hairs. And so if you leave the hair on, it will inevitably shed for the rest of the garment's life. 
And that can be really maddening. True story. <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> my ex-partner, when um, so I had um, my ex-boyfriend, he was really maddened by any sort of deer hair in his house. And so I, um, I started, which I can understand. I mean, little bits of hair are no good for anybody. <laughs> and he was pretty into things being clean. I like clean, but he was really into clean. And so, um, so yeah, deer hair, deer hides just don't really work so well with the hair on. Um, coyote, uh, fox, any raccoon, any of these hides that have really soft, luxurious, um, fur do really well with leaving the hair on. And so, um, so yeah, with deer, I like to take it off and with deer hides, taking off the hair means that it's going to make a really comfortable garment for being right up against your skin because you're able to get the hide super duper soft. Whereas if you have left the hair on, you, um, if you've left the hair on, then it's not so nice for being right up on your skin. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of the difference. And this video specifically, this online course that we're creating specifically discusses doing hair off tanning, which is really good for creating garments that are up against your body, um, for creating bags, for creating backpacks and moccasins and stuff like that. But it's not for tanning coyotes or foxes or raccoons. Gotcha. Um, could you talk a little bit about care of the hide until you can tan? For instance, like you mentioned, like where you mm-hmm. can get hides. I, I do a lot of hunting in South Texas, and I'll usually end up on a ranch right. somewhere, and there might be 12 hunters there. Right. And, and, and they might all shoot two deer and the majority of them have no interest in their hides. Right. So I could come home with more hides than I could mess around with. What do you suggest a person do with a hide in the interim between when you acquire the hide to when you tan it, if it's not going to be right away? And again, that's a really good question. Um, so the first thing that you, sorry, easiest thing that you can do is to take the hide and roll it up so that the hair is on the outside and the flesh is on the inside and put it in a bag and put it in the freezer. But it's really easy to fill up a freezer that way because the hides, if they're not fleshed, are pretty bulky. And so the second easiest thing to do is that you can take salt and it takes probably two to four cups of salt per hide. And the hide that you take straight off the deer, you can just coat that whole flesh side with salt and then roll it up with the edges in first and then rolling from the neck down and from the butt up so that you're kind of making like a double donut, I'd say. And um, and then you can put those in a barrel. And with the barrel, though, you want to make sure that you have holes in the bottom of the barrel so that the hides can drain. And um, you don't end up with a salt watery mess. I don't tend to salt my hides a lot because um, salt tends to kill plants. And when I need to um, when I need to work hides, I need to get rid of that salt. And so it just ends up being this byproduct that I don't really want to deal with. But it's also a very fast way to deal with a lot of hides if you don't have access to refrigeration. The third way that you can preserve hides is that you can flesh them and then you can tack them up on a wall or you can use clips and put them on a chain link fence to get them to dry. If you do tack them up on a wall, you want to have the flesh side where you've already removed the flesh facing out so that it can dry much more effectively because if you have the hair facing out, then the hide might rot probably not in Texas, it's so dry, but here in North Carolina before it dries. So you want to have that the um, flesh side facing out. You want it to dry completely, and then you can scroll it up. And um, dried hides are awesome, but with dried hides, you have to watch out for these nefarious little creatures called hide beetles. So you need to make sure that those aren't, those aren't eating your hide, which is not a problem in the winter, but in the summer it can be an issue. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what to do with this, the, you know, like deer leather, et cetera, after you completed the tanning process, how you fabricate it into clothing or what else you might be able to do with it? 
Yeah, totally. So it is an incredibly versatile material. I really like working with brain tan leather and a lot of people seek it out. It actually, you can sell a brain tan hide for anywhere between two and $400 when you get done tanning it because it's a material that people want so much. Um, you can use it to make pants. You can use it to make shorts. You can make a shirt. You can make a dress. Uh, some of my friends actually, this, this man that I mentored many, many years ago and now has become a teacher himself, he just got married and he and his wife both made themselves uh, buckskin wedding clothes. Like she made this gorgeous buckskin dress and he made a buckskin jacket. And it was, it was really lovely to witness. But yeah, you can make, um, we actually have a video that we're going to be giving away. Um, oh, but that's a secret. I shouldn't talk about it okay. too much, but I've already revealed some of it. But um, it's, it's a buckskin possible bag, which a lot of people use to take hunting. And you can use it to make moccasins, all sorts of things. Very, very cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, your your school itself, Wild Abundance, or your, your organization? Is it a company's organization, school, whatever? Can you tell us about the, kind of the totality of it, not just the tanning thing you're doing? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're in North Carolina. And we have about seven acres where we run this school, and we teach permaculture, we teach organic gardening, and we teach classes on tiny house building, natural building, women's carpentry, and we do classes on um, various herbalist classes like wild crafting and medicine making. And... We run an apprenticeship program where people can come and live here for um, seven months and learn all sorts of skills. And really what we're trying to do is create a situation where people can learn skills for living a more self-sufficient lifestyle and one that um, one that's sustainable and one where people can really like learn how to live because who knows what's going to happen in the yeah. future. And so we're really trying to carry on these skills that are really getting lost. Like kids these days aren't learning how to grow food. They aren't learning how to butcher a hog. They're not learning how to tan a hide. And they're not learning how to grow a garden. And most of us didn't learn that in school who, who are like, you know, in our 30s, 40s, or even 50s these days. And so it's, it's really important to me to be able to carry those skills forward because who knows when we might need them again. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that maybe would ask, you know, why do I need to learn how to tan a hide? That's like an ancient skill that, you know, stone people used or something. And I, I mm -hmm. think it's incredibly important that we preserve these skills, not just because, well, what if something goes wrong, but because there's just value in them it, themselves. It's It's amazing to me, like, Okay, so people say that, but yet, like, one of the most popular things online today is genealogy. People always want to know where they came from. Like, who was their mm -hmm. great-grandmother and I, or grandfather or great-great-grandfather or triple-uncle or whatever. And I think some of it's always – everybody else wants to find out, like, I'm related to a king or something like that. But um, in the end, they want – like, people want to know where they came from. Well, like, these skills, like, that that's your actual anchor back to where you come from because we – You know, we kind of think of like a lot of this as like Native American skills. Well, these skills were used all over the world just at different times in, in, in human evolution. Yeah, yeah. Who, whoever you are and wherever you live and wherever your ancestors lived, probably they tanned high. And I think that I like what you're saying here. I mean, I think that there's some magical thing that happens, at least for me, when I connect with those skills that my ancestors practiced. Like our bodies, like were made to be tanning hides. Our bodies were made to be practicing these ancient skills. And when you do practice them, something is likely to awaken inside of you that is really like, is really deep and really beautiful and meaningful. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Now here's my thing about brain tanning. I kind of look at brain tanning, the whole process, like, Oysters, right? <laughs> uh, it makes perfect sense today 
to eat a raw oyster. It, it you know, it tastes good. You put some horseradish and cocktail sauce, chase it down with a beer. It's awesome. But who was the first person that like, you know, cracks an oyster open and looks at it and goes, "Yeah, I'll try that." Like, how do you think the first person like thought, "You know what? I bet you if we crack the head of this thing open and smear it on the skin, it'll make it better." Like, you ever wonder, like, who was the first person that figured this out? I have definitely wondered that. <laughs> That's a really good question. I mean, and that question exists for so many things. Like, olives, you pick them off the tree, they're totally disgusting. You yeah. soak them in salt water for a month, they're awesome. And, you know, I I think that it all just depends on what you believe, but I personally think there's some kind of divine intervention working on humans' behalf that, you know, taps, taps our great, great, great meta granddaddy or grandma on the phone and is like, you know what? If you rub the brains on there and move it around a bunch, you can wear that. <laughs> and it'll keep you warm. And I don't, I don't think that's something that just magically happened from experimentation. I think there's, there's something else going on there. And I think everyone can answer who that someone else might be on their own. Well, if people want to learn about this, you're going to have this course. It's not quite yet available. Can you uh, let people know when they're going to be able to get it and kind of like what it's going to be like going through it? Like how long is it? That type of thing. So the course is around 10 hours of videos. And we suggest that people set aside about four days to do the actual tanning process. And so, and then they can watch the materials and move through the tanning process at their own rate. So like they could, you know, just work on it for four consecutive Saturdays. There's plenty of times during the tanning process when you can put that hide on pause. So that answers the second part of your question. As far as the first part of your question, the answer is that it is a surprise, but it is going to be coming out very soon and definitely within the month. So the best thing that you can do if you're excited about this course is go to um, wildabundance.net and sign up. Um, we actually are giving away a free hide tanning ebook. So there's a pop-up that will come up if you go to our website, and if you sign up for that ebook and get the free ebook on hide tanning, then you'll be getting some emails that will let you know exactly when it's coming out. But for now, it is a secret, but it will be within the next month. Awesome. Very, very cool. Um, and I will have a link to uh, the Wild Abundance website, and I'll also have a link directly down to the page where people can sign up to be notified, get the free ebook, and what have you. And with that, Natalie, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, my pleasure, Jack. Thank you so much for doing what you do. I really respect what you have going on, and I'm so impressed that you've been so busy since we last spoke. Yeah, it's it's ten, we just had our 10-year anniversary, um, actually in June, but we did a, a big party in August. And one of the most uh, humbling things in my life was having people walk up to me at that party and like, yeah, we drove in from Chicago. What? Wow. You drove to Fort Worth from Chicago for a three-hour party? Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, so, yeah, it's it's been a while. And on that, like, if you have something going on, you want to come back on and talk about it, um, or if the person you handed Firefly off to wants to come talk about it or whatever, you know, yeah. get in touch with us, fill out the form, or get one of your lackeys to do it like you do. You rate a lackey, I guess, <laughs> that, that does your form for you. But get back on. I mean, like, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's, uh, you know, you, it's been way too long. Let's not wait another, like, seven years before we bring you back on again. Sounds good. I really like that. Yeah, I was, it was really exciting. The last time I was on the show, um, I met some people who had actually driven or maybe they flew from idaho to north carolina to go to the firefly gathering because they heard about it on your show awesome awesome i love yeah. hearing i love the, all the overlap well again thanks yeah. for being, thanks for being with us thank today. you thank you jack have a wonderful day well great interview with natalie she's just an awesome person uh, i have links to her website and specifically the the hide tanning course in the show notes for you guys today. If you enjoy this show and you want to help support us, one of the easy ways that you can do that is by uh, doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com, tspaz.com. <clears throat> and I always have items up of the day for review for you guys, too. 
Today's item of the day is made by a company called Lanshin, and it's an eight-outlet surge protector power strip. Big deal, Jack. It's a power strip, and gee, it's just like 30 bucks. Why would I pay 30 bucks for a power strip when I can go down to Best Buy and buy one for like $5? Well, I'm glad you asked. The key here is the format of this thing. So it's a power strip. It also has four USB ports with 4.5 amps of power shared between them, which means you either have one that's going to charge your devices like lightning or good charging across four. It's up to you on how many you use. It has eight outlets, but this thing is shaped more like a circular little mini tower, right? So it's kind of shaped like a, like a little mini tower speaker. And the way that lays itself out is you can use all the ports on it, all the, all the electric ports, even with big clodhopper adapter plugs like you often get where they cover each other up because of the way it's shaped. You can get everything on there. So that's nice. It's compact because it's a little round like speaker tower shaped thing. It has two switches that turn the, the power on and off. They split between four and four. Now, my latest use for this device, I'm using it to manage some of my fish tanks. Because anybody that's kept fish tanks knows, like, you end up with just a lot of cords and a lot of wire to manage this pain in the butt. You know, the other thing, though, for, for tank owners is when you have to clean your tanks and you do a water change and you start dropping water out of them, you want to turn off your, your power filters and your heaters because it's not good for them to run dry. It's not good for the heaters to run with low water. So what that means is you, if you just flip a switch and everything goes out, then your lights go out, right? Well, with this, I can have my lights on one side and my pumps and heaters on the other, and I can just flip one switch and all, my, uh, all those electronics go off, but the lights stay on so I can see what I'm doing. And it makes things easy, and it manages all that stuff in a small, compact unit. Uh, originally, I got this because how great is this for a Stephen Harris battery bank or a generator? You run an extension cord to the, the dining room table, you plug this thing into it, you've got eight outlets and four USB devices right there, and it's round. So if you're distributing extension cords through your house, or like, say, a TV in this room, a light in that room, it naturally orientates itself, and it's easy to access and use. There's a lot of other great uses for it. I love the dadgone thing. Um, it's hard to get me to spend 30 bucks on an eight-outlet um, surge protector. But once I saw this and I saw the potential, I tried it. And now any place I need a lot of connection in a small area and I want to keep things organized and actually be able to use all the ports, I use this. And, hey, you know with my fish tank stuff, I have it set up on like a cabinet. And what I did is I ran a, a standard USB uh, mini uh, USB uh, connector and an iPhone connector from two of the ports. So that means I can still charge mobile devices, charge my Bluetooth speaker, charge my iPhone, etc., Uh, sitting over there next to my tank. So I'm still using those ports. It's a cool thing. Check it out. Again, it's made by a company called Lanshin. Um, I've not sold a ton of these, but I've sold enough of them that if anybody had a problem, I'd have heard about it by now, and I haven't. Our song of the day today is Sweet Emotion by Aerosmith. It's got kind of a weird backstory, you guys. Um, Aerosmith uh, in the 80s was like way deep into drugs, like many of the 80s rock bands were at the time and specifically heroin. And uh, Steven Tyler wrote this song because he was pissed off and angry at the band itself and some of the other band members' girlfriends. Some of the not-so-nice language about a woman in this applies to one particular band member's girlfriend. And what sparked the whole thing is he wanted some heroin. He was out, I guess, and he went to another band member who had some, and that guy wouldn't share with him. And somehow, amidst all of that... All the drug use and the anger with each other, they still managed to make a pretty awesome sounding song, Sweet Emotion. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. 